0: All right, good evening, everybody. Today, or tonight, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 13. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we'll finish up this book. Short chapter. Won't be a short teaching, though. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. As Aaron prayed already, we pray that it would change us, that it would be a lamp to our feet, and help us to understand There's just so many aspects of ministry that we can learn from this. Paul's heart, the people's heart, the mixed multitude of the church of Corinth, some believers, some not, some kind of halfway. And it's the same problem we have today. Lots of different kinds of people in one place. Lots of different things need to be learned or unlearned. And uh, the only way that happens is if we're submitted to your word. And so that's our prayer tonight that we'd be submitted to your word, that we'd be changed, that if you do want to cut to the heart, that we'd be glad that you did, that we'd receive it, so that we can be more like you and, and better, um, have more joy. There's just a, a beautiful, ob- a beauty, uh, there's a beauty to, you, to being obedient to you, God, and, and that's what we want. And so I pray that you'd help us to understand it all, that your spirit would be our guide and our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul concludes his letter here to the Corinthians. It's, it's it's pretty stern. And as I was sitting in the back here, I take a back row seat while I'm worshiping and I pray and kind of get a heart for all, all you. Not that I don't have a heart for you already, but I got to, you kind of take the spiritual temperature of the room and I'm watching y'all you raise your hands and singing about grace and mercy. And I know what's coming in chapter 13. and And it's like, Oh boy, because it's not necessarily for you. I mean, I want God's Word to be applied however He wants to do it in your life. But I don't know that anybody here this, this evening needs such a stern warning as what Paul gives in the sense that you wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night if you weren't already submitted to Him or wanted to learn. Paul's final chapter here is for those that don't. It's for those that need the, the pressure. He does apply pressure here. Um, before I... Got done studying. I was in that verse ten, which we'll get to, and it's it's where he says, "I I, I want to come because God's given me authority for edification, but not for destruction. But He does give me authority, and I want to come with that authority. It's going to be it's going to be authoritarianism, is what it is. And uh, I got to thinking about a guy. Um, I'm not big on his doctrine. Mark Driscoll. Um, he used to be the pastor of Mars Hill Church one of the Mars Hills churches. And then uh, according to Christianity Today, which is a, is a pretty left-leaning Christian magazine, I'm not a fan, um, but all their articles about him in the moment that he left Mars Hill was the rise and fall of Mark Driscoll. So I, was, I remember Mark, and he just reminded me a lot of myself. <laughs> Which so is a concerning to me as you read about the rise and fall of Mark Driscoll. And you're like, well, I didn't hear anything wrong with what he said. Because I remember the point where they got, uh, he had a sermon where he kind of blew up at the crowd. You know, that was there. And that was how it was described. He blew up. You know. And I'm watching this and all I can see from this man was just such a love and a passion for people and for the victims, the sheep, and then the wolves in the audience, in the crowd, because it is an audience at that kind of size church. We talk 15, 20,000 people. It is a mixed group. But He had such passion and love that he was telling all the boyfriends that were taking advantage of all their girlfriends, draping their arms on them, you know, and all over them all the time. And and really was hammering home the point that you shouldn't be doing anything physical until you're married. And... And you guys need to man up. And he was really going. And the comments afterwards about this sermon that I'm like, yeah, buddy, you know, were, wow. It's just, he's fallen so far from where he started. He's so angry now. He's so bitter. He's so, I'm like, "Um, no, (laughs) that's exactly what needed to be said. Maybe he didn't intend to come across that way when he first came at them in that morning. But as you're looking at the crowd and you can kind of see, and you start to see things happening in the crowd, because from our perspective up here as pastors, you see a lot more stuff than you guys see down there. You just do. And unfortunately it's an elevated platform so I can see everything that goes on. I remember, you know, hands and and kissing and and rubbing and touching and all these things it's like okay you're a church I mean can we just focus on the Lord for 35 minutes or so you know you can go do whatever you need to do later but for now can we and I was like I can imagine in a crowd that big 15 to 20,000 people in the in the in the he's seeing stuff and he just I'm done with it you know You come here week after week. You come here month after month. And he goes on and on on all these guys. Either get saved or get out. It was one of those moments. Oh, he'd fallen so far. And he's such, oh, Mark, Mark, poor Mark. Such an authoritarian style of teaching. And that's the problem with these non-denominational evangelical churches. Just all authoritarian. I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. in fact, that's exactly what I read here in chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. It isn't authoritarian. I think that's a word we just attached to it. No, it's a man called by God and says what God tells him to say. Everybody in the room's there voluntarily. It's not like it's a slave camp or something or some kind of, and then it went on to describe, you know, it's Christianity today, cults and how to get out of them and all these things. Cult? It's not cultish at all. And so, as I'm reading this and I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm thinking about Mark. And like I said, I don't agree with all his doctrine, but that, that doesn't matter. He probably doesn't agree with my doctrine either on some things, some issues. But I sure appreciate him saying what he needed to say, a tough thing to say. Paul does that in chapter 13. So if you want to hear authoritarian pastorship, we're about to hear it. Okay? And it's in Scripture. Okay, Verse 1. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. I will not spare, he says, if I show up and I see unrepentance from the things that I've written to you. I'm writing to you ahead of time for you to digest, to absorb, to repent, to change, to get right. Here's what Paul sees. See, the church... From their perspective and from at Mark Driscoll's church's perspective, the crowd is a mixed group. So it depends on who you ask some who have been sitting behind who are born again believers on fire for Jesus Christ and search and seek after and desire holiness in their life see what's going on in the church around them and all they can feel is sin is creeping into the church a little leaven leavens the whole lump all these scriptures are running through their mind so if you were to ask them how they thought the sermon went they would be like it was amazing I've been trying to minister to this young couple and I didn't have the guts to say what I needed to say, but boy, thank you, Mark, for saying it so powerfully and passionately. I hope they heard. Now you ask the middle of the road person who's maybe just kind of saved born again, but not necessarily walking. They're like, boy, I don't know. I've never seen anything like that before. I'm still trying to figure that one out. And then you've got the left or the the, the left side of things over here that are completely content, the boyfriend with the arm around her, you know, Say, oh my goodness, what a bunch of baloney. Who are you to judge me and all that? You, it depends on who you ask in the crowd. Paul has got a problem. The Corinthian church is a mixed group. It's a big church. It's a big city. There are born-again believers that are obviously filling, feeding him this intel. This is what's going on in the church. Here's what we see happening. We're concerned. Our church is degrading. It's falling into all sorts of sin. We've got a guy over here that's coming to church with his stepmom or with his mom. We don't know which it is. And they're proud of it. Nobody cares about it. He's getting that intel from somebody in the crowd. That's a, that's a passionate lover of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, well, I don't want to see that because he loves all of them. He wants them all to be perfected, growing in the Lord, walking tight with him, you know, with Jesus so he's got to write these letters i hear some things it's not good you know i am coming i'm telling you i by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established i've told you three different times the same thing nobody's going to be without an excuse when i come that's pretty authoritarian you know what do you mean you're not going to spare now paul doesn't have any uh skin in the game when it comes to the Corinthian church. And what I mean by that is he's not going to be out anything if they reject him. He's okay with that. He's not going to be out a salary. He's not going to be out a location. He's not going to be out the stuff. He's going to be out some hearts. And that's what Paul cares about the most. And so because he doesn't have that kind of um, materialistic skin in the game, he can say what he needs to say. He can say the truth. I think that was the beauty of Jesus. I don't have a place to lay my head. I don't even know where the next meal is coming from. We walk by faith around here. If you're going to follow me, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Paul says, by the, two, by, the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. You are going to be held accountable to what you know, to what you've heard. I've told you three times. If you're looking for proof that Christ is speaking in me, I'm going to bring proof. I'm going to bring proof. My words are weighty. But because you've only met me once or have been in my presence once, you saw me as soft, soft. See, when Paul came to the church the first time, he preached nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everybody was starting off with nothing, zero. They were on, you know, they're on the ground floor. and They all got saved, all these there. And the church was planted. And that is a sweet, beautiful time for a church when everybody's just kind of born again and brand new believers and dewy-eyed, you know. Well, now they've grown up. They've grown past Paul we have read that in the scriptures they found other teachers they're being they're being you know Paul was a good start and all but oh this is and Paul's like Mm-mm. if they're preaching and teaching anything other than what I've already taught you it's beyond what's written it's beyond what Christ has told you to to receive And so he comes in because you remember me as that soft evangelist who just had a heart for your salvation and wanted you to get away from your sin and you were delivered and you were so madly in love with Jesus Christ. It was wonderful. And now I'm writing these weighty letters to you because you're not maturing and because you're rejecting the original gospel. Now you're adding to it different things that are inappropriate for, incompatible with the gospel. I will come to you with strength. I'll come to you face to face and you won't remember. I won't even look like the same guy because now I'm coming as a corrective father. In Mark chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. From the beginning, Jesus has said, when the word of God is taught, it will be followed by or signs and wonders will accompany it for the sake of the gospel to give um, authority to what was spoken. So you can tell what's of God and what isn't of God. If there's supernatural power associated with the words that were spoken, we can believe the words is the idea. Supernatural powers and events taking place by themselves without the word of God, that can come from either source. And we'll learn that here in a minute, or we'll read some scriptures that cover that. That isn't the evidence of God. Signs and wonders isn't the evidence of God. The truth, love, grace, mercy, and the gospel associated with the signs and wonders, that is from God. Otherwise, it's not. Paul says, I I will show you the power of God. Signs and wonders were amazing when Paul first came to the Corinthian church. They saw that. So they received the word when he first came. He says, I'm coming back with that. I'm all for signs and wonders. The Bible speaks of it often. I'm excited about signs and wonders. I love healings. I love these things. I, I, I love it. I, I, I love tongues. I love the interpretation of tongues, the miracles, healings, um, prophecies, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. I love all those gifts of the spirit that God gives us. I think they're very beautiful and wonderful meant to be presents that are opened, you know, from God to us. But what I love more than that is the fruit of the spirit, the changed heart. That's a miracle for me. And I, and I, and I'm not saying that because it's, I'm not saying that because it's easier some people misunderstand when I say I love. Yeah, miracles are great, but you know what? I really love the Word of God and how it changes lives. Well, okay, that's just because the miracle things aren't happening around you, so you're trying to find, you know, you know, Plan B. we are got Plan A at our church. It's very exciting all the time. God's really at work there, but you're, that's not happening at your place, so you just rely on Plan B. It's not it at all. I'm I'm willing to admit I I would love to see more of the signs and wonders take place at our fellowship. I would. I have no control over that. That has to be understood. We have no control over that. We make ourselves available for it. But that is truly, if it is the power of God, then it's by his power and it's at his will that these things take place. Now, if it's through unbelief, that is our fault. We need to be believers in these things for them to even take place in our lives. But we can't produce them. That has to come from God. When I see a person who was a creep, supernaturally not be a creep anymore, that's an absolute miracle. Do you, I think we all intuitively know as people how hard it is for someone to change their spots, right? There are maybe seasons where they can maybe stop or pretend or be a little bit better. But when you see someone, and I call it being born again because that's the best thing, they are absolutely a new creation. They're not the same person they used to be. They were a creep. They were someone no one wanted to be around. They were wicked. They were evil. They thought things. They did things. They spoke things. They're not doing that anymore. It's the weirdest thing to see who that person was and who this new person is. I don't even recognize you. See, to me, that's an absolute miracle, and that's what I want. I want to see that in our fellowship more than any tongue. Not that we have to choose. Don't get me wrong. We don't have to choose between the two. Both are wonderful. But that's what I want to see. That's what's beautiful. When you see a prideful person become a humble person, that's amazing because it doesn't happen in the world. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 22 through 24 for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified and the Jew, to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Jews loved signs. They loved the five loaves and the two fish. They loved the feeding of the 5,000 so much so that they followed him around and asked for it again. But there were no changed hearts. For the most part, nobody from that crowd was at the cross. All forsook him, including the disciples. The miracle took place in Acts chapter 2. That's when it started happening. That's when the guys that were in the upper room filled with the Holy Spirit became new people. Peter was no longer sticking his foot in his mouth. Boldness was coming out. Changed lives. 3,000 people getting saved and turning their lives over unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whereas before, just a a few days before, they were denouncing him and saying, crucify him. And all of a sudden they're on their knees and they're willing to die for their faith. That's, That's radical, you know? It's an amazing thing. Signs and wonders are fine, but this, the power of God, is a changed life. Matthew twenty-four, twenty-four: For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. As much as I love the signs and the wonders, they can be counterfeited. Satan doesn't care if he heals somebody over here and you not follow Christ. That's great. I'll heal anybody you want. Satan says, provided you don't follow Jesus Christ. That's the concern. Signs and wonders aren't it. But if the Word of God accompanies these signs and words, or vice versa, now you got a whole package. Now you got a meal. You got a sandwich. You know that you can eat. Second Thessalonians two eight through ten. In the last days, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Lying wonders. And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They missed the gospel for the sake of the signs and wonders. Satan is happy to give us tricks. And entertainment, provided we miss the gospel of Jesus Christ. Program after program, distraction after distraction. That is his um, strategy for the end times. And we need to be aware of that. All these things are taking place, but they weren't saved. What good is it? The whole reason Jesus came was to make us different people. Not to church us, not to gospel us, but to make us different people. I know who I was before I got saved. Some of that personality still comes through at times, but make no mistake about it. I'm madly in love with him and I love people like I've never loved them before. I'll watch shows about Jesus or I'll I'll read scripture sometimes and I get teary. Teary, you know? I can read the same scripture over and over again and get deeper and deeper in it. That's weird for me. I hate reading. I hate reading. You guys offer me books all the time. Oh, you got to read this book? Never going to read it. I do not like it. I will pick video all day long, audio even, if I have to. I just do not like reading. But you give me this Bible, I don't know what it is. It's just, well, I mean, I know what it is. We all know what it is. None of us are oblivious to it. That's how I know I'm a changed person. I mean, who writes notes and margins and spends time studying and trying to figure out the deepest parts? And where's the gold nugget in this text? Who does that? You know, except the crazy man or someone who's a new creature, a new creation. God wants us to be so different. And, and I don't mean not you. He wants us to be, um, he wants us to have the fruit of the spirit. Um, this is what he's looking for. Matthew chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, arise, take your bed, and go to your house. That's one of the most important scriptures, I think, in the New Testament. It makes it very easy. You, get the, you, get the, you understand the story. I can look at, at, uh, at John here, and I can say, John, your sins are forgiven you, and nobody can figure that out. Nobody knows whether it actually happened or not. John's like, hey, you know. And I could say the same thing, your sins are forgiven you. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And everybody's like, that's great, but I mean, how do we know? You don't know till you're dead. That's a big if. But if I said I'm giving you your clear eyesight now, you can take your glasses and throw them. Wouldn't that be great? You know? I know. <laughs> and she does, and it happens. Or John's a paralytic and gets up and walks. Whoa. Our problem is we're geared up for the eyesight change and for the paralytic to walk. And the fact that their sins were forgiven is mediocre. Jesus wants to change hearts, which cannot be done. Surgery might correct. Scared to death of eye surgery. The kids always say that. Dad, just get some eye surgery. It's really great now. Yeah, it's not your eyes. 3% come out of those surgeries blind. I'm not willing to risk it. These are just fine. I'd be the 3%, you know? Oh, that's just fear. Yep. Because doctors have bad days too, just like I do, you know? And I know their percentages are pretty good, but they're not 100%, so I'll be fine with that. I'm just going to take what I've got. I'm not going to lose it, you know? Conservative there. Why did I say that? (laughs) I don't know. A changed life is what Jesus wants to do. That can't be done. A doctor might be able to... Oh, there it is. (laughs) My bread comes back to my story. A doctor can change those things. A paralytic could be, we're getting even better and better. I'm super excited about what they're doing now with robotics and things like that and this neural... Link, I know. Mark of the Beast, whatever. If they can get the, if they get a neural link to work and cause and make connections that were broken, reestablished, and people are going to be walking again, I'm all for the neural link all day long. I think it's amazing that they can do that, or it's possible, and they're absolutely convinced they're going to be able to do it. This is great. So medically, it can be done. I don't care, in the sense that of course I care and I love them and I want them to have all that mobility back. What a what a wonderful thing for them. But I don't want them to have mobility to hell. But to change a heart, nobody can do that. Nobody can change someone else's heart. There ain't a doctor in the world that can get in there and change your behavior. It, it make you good and, and, and perfect and holy and loving and compassionate and humble. That can't be done. Only God can do that. That's a miracle to me. It is. It's the miracle of all miracles. It's the, it's, the, it's the most important miracle that can take place in a church is for someone to go from pride to humility. Galatians 5, 19 through 24. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is the disease. This is the debilitating problem that everybody has, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, in case we miss something. Those are the things that Jesus came to heal. Those are the miracles that God wants to do in our lives. If you have any of those things in your life, you need to ask for a miracle from Jesus Christ for him to come into your life and miraculously take that away or replace it with a godly attribute. I wish we'd spend as much time praying over that verse, chapter, verse 20 and 21, for God to do miracles in our lives and in our fellowship in this area and any other. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit... Someone who's born again, someone who is a new creation in Christ starts producing the opposite of any of those things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's not saying that, oh, they just really try each day. No, they have a, they're a new creation. They are filled with the spirit and this is coming out of them. They didn't used to be loving. They were not joyful people. They didn't have peace. They were not long-suffering, very impatient. They were not kind at all. In fact, they were mean. They were not like God. That's goodness, godliness. They weren't faithful, couldn't trust them as far as you could throw them. They weren't gentle. They were so harsh. They had no self-control. But now, self-control. That's the spirit, that's the work of God. That's a miracle in people's lives. Paul wants to see the Corinthian church have that. That's what he wants for them. That's why he writes what he writes. He wants them to have this completed life, which we'll get to at the end of the teaching tonight. the completed life in Christ. Verse five. Examine yourselves. Now remember, he's preaching to a mixed mixed crowd born again, new creatures in Christ, new creations in Christ, middle of the road, and not even saved. Okay. Not even considering wolves amongst the sheep. Examine yourselves. So the letter is written to everybody and they're all reading it, all three groups. Examine yourselves as to whether you were in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Paul is saying, I want you to search your hearts and find out, are you saved? It's a great question. Now, he doesn't write that to make everybody wonder if they're saved. Some people hear that that way. Well, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I mean, I thought it was till I heard you say that tonight, and now I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. That's not what he's trying to do not trying to bring doubt into your walk with Jesus. You know if you know Jesus. He's just talking to the group that's talked themselves into it. Like, I've been here long enough that through osmosis, sitting in these brown chairs, somewhere along the line, I think I got something from somebody. I sit next to the godly people all the time. Nobody here has called me on it. Nobody knows. I must be okay. No, you're just incognito. You're disguised. Everybody can learn the language. We can learn Christianese. We can carry Bibles. There's a lot of things we can do to dupe those around us, but don't dupe yourself is all Paul's saying. It's just such a waste of time for you. Paul says, examine yourselves, which means we can. We can ask ourselves, how are we? I can take my spiritual temperature. Does my behavior when no one's watching looking or knowing match up with Jesus Christ and you'll know now some in the crowd well, I don't know half the time anyway you know well join the crowd okay i'm with you on that there are sometimes my thoughts get away from me i don't pull every thought captive that's not saying i'm not saved it just means i'm just not having a great day with the lord but I recognize it and I feel bad. There's a guilt. There's a shame. There's a conviction that comes upon me, whatever you want to call it. And I rectify it with my Lord privately. I talk to him about it. That's a person who is a born again believer. Okay. They're struggling with the, the war that goes on within them between the flesh and the spirit. That's normal. That's all normal. The problem is if you're one of those people that just can't wait to get outside so you can do and be and act like you want to, get away from all those that are your accountability partners so that you can go be what you want to be, you're probably not saved. If you're one person over there and you're a different person with the person that's keeping you accountable, you're probably not saved. And that's a question you need to ask yourself. Paul's asking the crowd in the Corinth that is mixed. With believers and unbelievers, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Now, he isn't saying he knows who's not saved because later on he says, finally, brethren, all y'all, he says, are brethren as far as I'm concerned because you you say you are. It's not my job to be a sin sniffer to figure out who's a wolf. I can tell by behavior sometimes, but Paul says, I'm going to call y'all brethren. But right here he says, I don't know that y'all are. That's something that each person owes themselves, is to check themselves. Where am I with the Lord? Now, for the most part, if you're concerned about your salvation, you're probably saved. Awkward as that is and weird as that is. But if you're like, I don't know, I sure hope I am. I love Jesus so much. You're saved. (laughs) You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't have those thoughts. What you'd be feeling right now is a temperature rise inside of you, like, I feel like a spotlight's on me. I feel like the heat is on. I just, oh, I hope I'm not sweating so everybody around me can see this. You need to examine yourself. He says, you know yourself. Are you disqualified? Now, James chapter 2, verses 18 through 24 Explains the difference between live faith and dead faith. I didn't even know there were two kind of faiths. There are. Live faith and dead faith. Dead faith is of no value to you. It's dead. Some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe. So far you're equal to Satan. I believe Jesus is the Christ who died on the cross for the sins of the world. So does Satan. The difference is, has it changed you? James is saying that knowledge in a born-again believer changes behavior. Their character is different. The person's a different person. That's the difference. Paul saying as you examine yourselves, know these things about yourself. You believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? It's dead faith. If it's not an action in your life, if if there isn't measurable differences in your life from when you were before you came to Christ or before you accepted Christ, if there's no change in you, you need to examine yourself. There should be. There should be differences. There should be growth. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. That term there was when God told him he was going to have a son. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as for righteousness. And all the promises associated with the future of Abraham's dynasty, his heritage, his lineage, was associated with Isaac. And he believed God about all those promises and prophecies, that all these things are going to happen through Isaac. The proof was when God says, I want you to sacrifice now Isaac on the altar. Now that would cause some heads to spin, right? I did believe you, but now you want to do this Which seems to be contrary to what you promised me. Nevertheless, God, you know my faith in you is stronger than my understanding. And he raised his knife and was going to do it. God says, Ho, 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 now I know. Now I know. See, my faith in Jesus Christ should change me, it should be different. James says you should be a different person. In fact, um, I think it was John the Baptist that says you need to bear fruits worthy of repentance. If you're repentant, there ought to be fruits worthy of repentance that look like you've repented. You should look like you're different, you know, to everybody. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. 1 John chapter 4.7 Beloved, Let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Pretty good statement. Pretty good verse to memorize right there. How do I know I love God? Because you love everybody and you love God too. That's how you know. John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. unmistakable sign of a Christian is love for people. You love them. Paul loves the Corinthian church. If he didn't love them, he would not waste his time writing these letters or even threatening to come visit them with some harsh words. Because who cares? Who needs that garbage in your life? I've got enough stress, Paul might say. i got enough beatings. I've been left out in the ocean. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I've been stoned. I've been whipped. You know what? You can have your church. That's a lack of love. When you begin to cut people off because they're too hard, too much for you, that's not love. Paul loves these people. Verse 7. Now, I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. There's Paul's prayer. He doesn't say that flippantly. My prayer is that you just don't do evil. He's not concerned about his reputation or what they think of him or anything like that. I just don't want you to do any more evil like you're doing. That's my prayer for you. That should be everybody's prayer. God, Paul isn't just mad at the church because they're not like him. He's mad because there's evil in the church, and he hates evil, and God hates evil, and it shouldn't. It's inconsistent with a Christian's walk. Evil should not be in a Christian's life, and if it is, it needs to be repented of and turned from and walked away from. It's. I mean, that's why Christ came. Paul says, I pray to God that you do no evil, and I don't pray that so that we look good, so that, you know, you're at a crowning jewel in our lives. For we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray, that you may be made complete. Complete. Hmm. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So technically, when we come to Christ, we're complete, right? Unless we're thinking of two different things here, and we are. Because some will pull that out. I had marriage counseling. Oh, one of the hardest times in, I think, Jenny and I's counseling seasons. long Years ago, years ago, right when we started, young college couple wanted to get married. That's great. Wonderful. Both loved the Lord on fire. Her a little more than him. It's kind of typical sometimes, unfortunately, because he was just trying to catch up. You know, that's fine. Not exactly unevenly yoked at all. And we were into counseling and going through our books that we always go through. It always brings out interesting things in people. But we required it at the time. I said, we need to go through this book together. And we got to that part about. How she needs to be submitted to her husband, and that you're you're the other half of him, and you're, you're the two shall become one, and you become complete, and all that. Oh, 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 oh. and she pulled this verse out: "We're complete in Jesus." And what she was saying was, "I don't need no man." What she was saying. And that's exactly what she meant. I'm not saying that's what she'd said. She went on to conclude, I don't need him to be complete. I'm okay without him, is what she said. I said, well, I mean, yes, that verse is true. Colossians 2, 9 through 11 is true. But as you can see, as we're going through the whole counsel of God together tonight, we see other parts of the same text, the same scripture, the same book that says, you're not quite complete yet. There's other things God wants to do with you. Yes, you're completely saved. You have everything, we just don't use everything, and we don't submit to everything. You've got it all, of course. You're complete. You don't need anything other than Jesus Christ in your life, but you do need to be submitted to everything he brings to the table. That's the completeness that Paul's talking about here. Well, as this uncomfortable moment went on in our living room, I went, okay, well, you're the ones getting married, and I looked at him, as if you're okay with that, it's you're, it's you two. I'm just bringing up things. Moved on. Years later, they moved, and uh, he wrote and says, "Hey, I, I don't. You probably have heard we're divorced. No, I I don't like track people. How would I know you're divorced? You know, I don't keep track of that. Well, yeah, yeah. I was on deployment." And she had a guy friend over, which in the book, of course, we frowned upon because girls and guys being friends oftentimes turns into more than that. Don't share your heart with anybody but your wife. Don't share your heart with anybody but your husband. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so archaic, so patriarchal, so whatever. So she had this officer over for dinner while he was deployed because they were friends, they were all friends. Well, one thing led to another. They weren't just friends anymore. And they got divorced. They weren't complete. They heard God's word. Yes, Colossians 2, verses 9 through 11, that's fine. But there's also other parts of the scripture that we need to take heed to. And you didn't take heed to those things because you thought this verse trumped other verses. And it doesn't. It's in... in, uh, It's in harmony with the other scriptures. They're all true, and we need to balance them. And so that's why when he says, I pray this also that you may be made complete, I want to bring up this verse, because that's the verse people use to say, I'm done. You're not done growing. James chapter one, verses two through four, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking nothing, in other words, you're a born-again believer. Let God work out these fiery trials in your life so that you can become complete. It's a process. Every one of us is going through that. Are you ultimately completely saved? Yes. A born-again believer from the moment they accept Christ is saved. But there's things that need to happen in our life, growth. The Corinthian church needs to grow. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul, different person, not James, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're not complete, complete like what we're talking about here, growth-wise, conformed into his image, until you die, until Jesus comes back. That's when you're complete. That's when the process is over. But the Paul says, I just want you to be complete. I pray for that. And I pray for that for you, too. And I hope you pray for that for me as well, that God would complete us. Or at least have us be willing to be completed, you know, and be in the process. Verse 10. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. I don't want to come and destroy you with my sharpness and authority. <laughs> Talk about authoritarian, right? Paul's got Paul's got an ego. Paul's, Paul's one of those superstar pastors. No, he just loves them. I want you to get this. And it's so much better if you just read it and receive it. So when I show up, we're not having these kind of conversations. Let's get beyond this. I'm looking forward to that. And here's how he finishes. Verse 11, finally, brethren. He falls back on that. I consider you all brothers because you say you are. Farewell. Now, we use that word kind of funny. Goodbye. No. Farewell means I hope that you fare well in life. I hope you fare well. I don't wish any harm to you. I don't wish you to die or to be destroyed or to be removed. I pray that you fare well in your walk with Jesus. I hope you become complete. I was praying that for them. I want you to become complete. Be of good comfort. Good is always, you can replace it with godly or God. No one is good but God, Jesus said to them, right? Oh, good teacher, no one is good but God, he said. Okay. Be of godly comfort. I want comfort to comfort. If you're in sin, I do not want you to be comfortable. I want you to be extremely uncomfortable in sin. Church should be a place where sin is very uncomfortable to sit. Oh, we're supposed to be seeker-friendly. Of course, I want everybody to come in, but I want everybody to come in well, to get better. It's a hospital. It doesn't do any good to ignore the problem or to say that it doesn't exist. It's very real in your life. It needs to go. Sin needs to be very uncomfortable, but godly comfort all day long. Be of one mind. The mind of Christ is what he's saying. Not not agree, not vote. (laughs) Not compromise. I want you to be of one mind, and the only mind he wants him to have is the mind of Christ. I want you to live in peace. To not argue all the time. To be at peace with one another. Consider others higher than yourself. All the things that he's packed into these two letters to them will bring peace if they all submit to it. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You do those things, the God of love and peace will be with you. I mean, he is always, of course, he's always there, but he shows up in love and in peace in your life. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll be doing that after church today. Guys with guys and cows with gals, of course. Holy kisses. I've actually done that probably to three people, I think. Guys. Just that moment. I kissed him on the forehead or something like that, not like on the lips. These guys kissed on the lips back then. It was kind of iffy, but I couldn't, I couldn't do that, I don't think. I told you about my cousin, right? You're going to hear it again. His nickname was Bean because he was tall you know, and skinny, Bean, born-again believer, but lived and ministered in Israel. That's he was a missionary in Israel with his wife. And Bean would come to my house. Somehow, you know, they were back for some reason. They'd come right up to my dad, and he'd kiss my dad right on the lips. Greet him, shalom, and he'd kiss him right on the lips. My dad'd be like, mm, "Bean's good to see you again." You know. <laughs> I don't know how many times that it probably only happened once. I remember it though. We were on Harvest Road. Interesting time. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It's hard to be mad at somebody if you knew you had to kiss them. Wouldn't it it be hard? So Paul's saying, next time you guys come together and read my letter, be sure and greet each other with a holy kiss. It's hard to be arguing and mad and fighting and and all that and and know that that's going to take place. You know, Paul's a smart cookie. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. By the way, that's the Trinity the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, three different, but all one, be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you. We want to be completed. We want to be in the process. We want to be changed. We want to have faith that works. We want to bear fruits worthy of repentance. I think every one of us wants that and prays that tonight. I don't think anybody necessarily needed it tonight, but boy, it's good to be reminded that you are working in us and that humility and submission is the goal to your word. So we received Paul's harsh chapter, even though it was for the Corinthians, I'll receive it. And I pray that I would be different and changed and closer and more like you. That I would have all those attributes he read at the end. I pray that we would fare well, that you bless these folks, bless them for taking the time tonight to sit at your feet, to receive from you, to be submitted to you, and to let you speak to their hearts, and I pray there'd be wonderful, wonderful fruit from this night. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up, be glad to pray with you.